0: Working class heroes, uh, I'm sure we know a few of them. I have one, my youngest daughter, Hadley. She's 15 and last summer for the first time ever in the Diebel family enterprise, she started mowing the lawn. Oh, yeah, man, it was so sweet. I've been, I've, been, I've been sweating it out for decades. And when I handed the proverbial keys over to her, I'd just look out the window, man, in an air-conditioned room in the, in the heat of July or August, and i just like, you go, girl. That's my daughter, man. She's just out there, you know. And, and uh, it's, it's just absolutely amazing. I'm bragging to all my friends and the whole thing. And, um, and uh, then she says to me... Um, Dad, I'm kind of, you know, this is working okay, but I've got one problem. And I'm like, well, what's your problem? She goes, I don't want to mow down flum. Okay, so now where we live, Flum is we live right on a corner, and uh, we, we bump up right next to Flum, and it's this really busy street, and um, while we don't own the strip of grass along Flum, we are entrusted to, uh, to tend to it. And so there's about a 25, 30-yard kind of strip of grass that she doesn't want to mow, and I said, well, why don't you want to mow down Flum? And she says, well... Because people will see me. I'm like, yes, they'll see you, and they'll see you, and they'll think it's awesome. Look at that young girl working hard, putting her hand in the plow. It's amazing. She goes, no, Dad, it's not that. It's like I don't want people to see me. I'm like, oh, like, boys and stuff. She's like, yes. And I'm like, well, Hadley, that's okay, man. You just, you have to do a job. It's, I know it. some, there's parts of every job that we don't like. And she's like, I don't know, dad. I don't know, dad. And then my wife says, yeah, I don't know, honey. I'm feeling that one for her. I'm going, oh my gosh. Now in business terms, we have partner disalignment right right here. And uh, then I, I, you know, I start to think about it. And I'm like, God, I mean... The, the, you know... Her wages are adjusted for inflation. You have you have no idea, right? I mean, this this is uh, at the time that she started, there were basically two available jobs for every available worker. I knew I had to be careful in this conversation, right? I didn't want to push too far. But then I started going, now wait a minute. She's got a really good gig. We pay for the gas. We outsource the treatment of the launch, She doesn't she doesn't even have to to edge. We do all the maintenance on the mower. You know, we the depreciation the whole capital expense she doesn't have to worry about that her pay is under the table it's tax-free her benefits are amazing I mean medical dental orthodonture vacations to the hilt right Netflix She's got it all. She even has a food court where she works. I mean, there's a kitchen, right? There's, there's cooks for her. I mean, she's got absolutely, in, in fact, she's got stake in the family enterprise. I mean, she's in the will for now. She's in the will. I'm kidding, right? And just like, okay. I'm like, I, so I'm getting all like, mm, you know, old school, Gen X, feeling more like a boomer and all of this. And then I'm just like, okay, what's that line? Because I don't want Hadley to become in the 16% of the US workforce. What do I mean by 16%? Check out this graph, it's stunning. Uh, This comes from the Gallup organization and it's tracking employee engagement, okay? Now what do we mean by engagement? Let me just, let me tell you how they define it. It's really interesting. Engagement, if you are an engaged employee, here it is, It's coming. It's like the next slide. Yes, there it is. Gallup defines employee engagement as the involvement and enthusiasm of employees in both their work and their workplace, okay? So basically, if you are actively engaged, it means that you're involved and you're enthusiastic in both what you do and in the culture in which you do it. So now let's look at this graph. So the green line is trending. If you look, if you keep looking at the graph, <laughs> at the graph, we might be having some technical difficulties. That's okay. There we, Okay, the, so the green line is percent engaged. What's the number? This, is, this came out in 2022, but it's reflecting 2021 numbers. 34% of everybody in the workforce are actively engaged. What does that mean? Flip that around. How many are not actively engaged? 66% of everyone on the job. They are not involved. They are not enthusiastic. They are living their own version of the office or office space. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> that came from the balcony, didn't it? That's awesome. Okay. Now let's come back to the graph and let's look at this bottom line. This bottom line, see the blue? Guess what that is? Actively disengaged. Okay, so there's a term that was invented a year or two ago called quiet quitting. This would reflect that, however, it's not just quietly quitting, it's actually actively disengaged, okay? 16% of everyone in the workplace is not only not involved and not enthusiastic, they're toxic. They're undermining what the purpose or the mission of the organization is every single day uh, that they're there. Now, so I want you just for a moment, I want you just to just take a quick snapshot. Do you like your job? Hmm, yeah. okay, it's okay if you don't. Uh, where would you put yourself on this graph? Are you actively engaged? On what kind of scale, right? Are you? enthusiastic and involved, or are you actually in a, a, a saboteur of, of some nature? And if you are, I'm not going to ask you to share anything out loud in, the, in this moment, but if you, if you are, you probably have reasons, well, because of this, because of that, you know, we have all sorts of kind of things. I just want you to think about that. And by the way, when I ask you about your work, let's define work. Shouldn't we do that so that we can all find ourselves in it? Here's how Webster's defines work. It is a noun activity <laughs> involving mental or physical effort done in order to achieve a purpose or result. It doesn't mean that you work for a large corporation. It doesn't mean that you are a business owner. It does not necessarily mean that you uh, uh, work in any trade or, I mean, it means all the things, including parenting. You might be a stay-at-home dad or stay-at-home mom. Would this apply? Do you use mental or physical effort in order to achieve a purpose or a result? Yes, you do. Okay, so I want to acknowledge that this talk in the fourth gear on productivity, it's going to be work focused. And I also know that uh, a group of this size, there's probably many who find themselves in transition, either possibly heading out the door or you've already gone out the door or your company went through its third round of layoffs and you find yourself uh, with a box in your hands and you're kind of going, what just happened to me? And I just want to name that this can feel somewhat tender, somewhat um, heavy, even uh, what we saw with the, the drama or, or the song, okay? So this isn't necessarily uh, the talk about rainbows and puppies and unicorns and all those kinds of things, because this can kind of fall into some place. I mean, we spend most of our lives doing this, doing this. And some of you, when we show this graph uh, up on the screen, like maybe you're a business owner. Maybe you are in HR and this is your job to try to raise up the engagement in your firm and you're breaking out in a cold sweat right now, I know. And this is troubling to you. Guess who else is troubled by such a graph? God is. God is troubled by that on many, many levels. See, God was the first worker who was involved and actively engaged and enthusiastic about his work. I want to look at the very beginning where we see God working like right out of the hilt. And I want you just to kind of you know when we read the first book of the Bible and you know you, you hear it in a British accent and it's very slow and it's very calm and it's it's highly oratory and you know and all those things and it just sounds really dull and boring. But I don't think God was dulled or bored when He spoke all of creation into existence, and I just want to rip through some things, and I just want to—I just want us to imagine uh, what I think to be true, which is God was involved; He was enthusiastic in His work. Right When when he said, let there be light, there there was light, this is amazing, and let there be a vault, this is cool, vault between the waters to separate water from water, and it was so, bam, there it was, right, and let the water, God said, under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. And, and, and then the gathered waters he called, and he said, gosh, this was good. Then he says, let the land produce vegetation. My, my least favorite um, uh, verse in the whole Bible about vegetables and things like that. But God says, and it was so. And God saw that it was good. So he's like calling something existence. Then he's standing back. He's like, wow, that's good. Well, that's that's really good. And then he said, let there be lights in the vault. I love that word. In the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. You see, he's calling into existence. He's standing back. He's like, wow, that's good. And then he says, now let water, team, love that word, team, T-E-E-M, there's two E's, T-E-E-M, with living creatures and let birds fly across the earth, across the vault of the sky. And God saw that it was good. He started seeing the birds flying. This is just amazing. And then let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the seas and the birds in the sky. And so he did all of that. So God, kind of in summary, saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning and the sixth day, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Do you think God was actively involved and enthusiastic about his work? Or do you think he was just passively disinclined, just kind of lobbing stuff out there? No, I think God, first worker, the most actively engaged, involved, and enthusiastic of all. You know, there's a different word we could apply to God as a worker. It might connect with some of you. God was the first entrepreneur, the one who started something kind of from nothing. Jordan Rader wrote a great book called Called to Create and and he says this, uh, look at this with me. Not only did God create something new, but equally important for our definition of entrepreneurship, he created something for the good of others. See, that's what you do if you've started a small business, medium-sized business. You're not just doing it for yourself, you're doing it for the flourishing of others. Dr. Richard Mao, former president of Fuller Seminary, here's what he has to say about this matter. He says this, God is an entrepreneur. He leveraged his resources at great cost to himself. Isn't that what you do? <laughs> you like step on out there, you take the risk, you, you move all of your resources in, you push all your chips in. He made God made space in the universe for us. And he didn't just make space for us, he actually infused a deep purpose for us. Such that you and I, we were made to work. We were made for active engagement, you and I, we feel most fully alive when we are involved and when we are enthusiastic about our work and about our workplace. And we see this when God infuses this back in Genesis, I read it earlier, let's just come back to it, Genesis 1, 26, then God said, let us make humankind, mankind, in our image, And so there's so much that we're reflecting about God, his ingenuity, his creativity, the core of his relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also his work ethic, also his enthusiasm and his level of engagement. That has been embossed in us and in our likeness, God says, as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so that, why? Why is he doing all this? So that they may rule, that we as human beings may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in in, in the sky, that we might be stewards, co-laborers, partners with God in all that He has put His hands to the plow to. Now that's pretty stinking cool. Is it what you're experiencing when you show up on Monday? When you Zoom in or Microsoft Teams on Monday? Do you feel enthusiasm about your work? Do you have a sense of feeling fully alive? And if, if not, why? And the answer is going to sound really churchy, but it's a thousand percent true. If, if, if you find yourself resonating rather tenderly with the drama, or with the, with the music, or with the videos that began our service here today, this is not God's design. This is not what God wants for us. It's not what God wants to redeem in and through us. The reason, here's the churchy answer, but altogether very true the reason that you and I experience malaise, frustration, anger, checked outness, active disengagement, all those things, because of sin. It's because of sin. What is sin? It's a distortion of all good things including our work, just distorting what God has called good, skewing, twisting, putting the dis in function, 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 dysfunction, and we see this in Genesis chapter 3, the consequence of when sin entered the world, work got hard. Here's what God says to Adam. He says, curse now is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. Anyone feel like you're tilling a ground at your job and you're just hitting in my backyard limestone or thorns and thistles? And you will eat the plants of the field. But by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. I'm just going to carry it a little further than what the slide offers. Since from that ground you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And how many feel like your job is just pounding and grinding you down into dust again. Into a fine powder. And where does that leave us? Where does that leave you? See, where sin distorts is actually in two directions, not just one. Two directions. It leads us either to idle work or idle work. Idle work or idle work. Let's unpack this a little bit. Some of us go idle, and we just say, forget it, and some of us go, I'm going after it, right? I'm going after it with everything that I've got as if it is a god. Now, we see a picture of this very economically in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes. You're going to see both idol and idol. By the way, I don't want to take credit for this. It comes from my friend Randy Frazee, and I just thought this is a beautiful way of understanding how we can go in two different directions. Here's what uh, the author of Ecclesiastes says. Fools fold their hands, and ruin themselves. What is the folding of hands? They quit. They quit, that's right. So that's the idle part, <laughs> I-D-L-E. Now, here, here we're going to see the, the, the worship, God, or the work worship side. Better one handful, handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. See what the author is doing here. He's saying, Hey, on the one hand, we can, in your words, we can just quit, or on the other hand, we can chase after the wind like the man driving the car right here in the seat. And what happens when we, when we go down those two seemingly divergent paths? Let's just kind of think about that for a moment. When you are idle, you are act, actually actively, what do we, we, we said it earlier, you're actively what? Disengaged, you're actively disengaged, disengaged. Okay, and when you're actively disengaged, then what do you do? That's when you fold your hands, fold hands. In other words, you become apathetic. And when you get to this place, how do you feel about yourself? If you've ever just been in between jobs for just too long, it begins to wear on you, right? Well, I would I would suggest that at some point you begin self-loathing. You begin second-guessing. Your sense of identity begins to kind of get erode, eroded. And you're not sure just that you you're questioning your own sense of value. And when you're actively disengaged and you begin just to fold your hands and you begin to self-loathe, then what do you do? You tweet. (laughs) This is where you have so much time on your hands that you just take pot shots of everyone else, right? This is why the, the Twitterverse is just what it is today because, in part, because a bunch of people that actually are completely unhappy with themselves deep down in their core. And so as it relates to our work, if we're idle and we're actively just, we're folding our hands and we just know if we're in tune with ourselves at all, if we're self-aware at all, we just know there's something not right here at an identity level, and the way it comes out can be just simply mean or super passive. And so at the very core, when we follow this trend, we are lacking dignity about the fact that we were made in the image of God. And he has commissioned us and infused us with a sense of purpose to work, and we're not living from the purposes of God in our lives. Make sense? Make sense? Okay, so now what if we make work our idol? And we just go after it. Let's just kind of follow that that trail. Where does it go? So on this, you're not actively engaged. You are overly engaged. Right? And when you are overly engaged, then the Scriptures say you are chasing after the wind. Right? you just going after the next thing, but it's a mirage. You get there like, oh, I thought this would feel different. Then you go after the next thing, right? You go after your what's next, what's next, what's next, until ultimately you land with a so what? (laughs) And that conversation was beginning to happen in the car, in the drama. And when you're just chasing after the wind, what's it like to be on the other side of you? Uh, was, Was her name Nancy? Is that right? What was it like for her to be on the other side of her husband? in the car. He's no longer hanging out with his kids. He's no longer massaging her temples. Yeah, he's self-absorbed. He's self-absorbed. And when you are self-absorbed, are you any more settled in your spirit than when you are self-loathing? No. You don't have time to tweet, perhaps, but you twitch. Always got to get on to the next thing, right? Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? There's just this frenetic sense of energy. You just can't ever stop. You can't ever kind of rest. Why? Because the wind is always moving and you have to chase it. You try to lasso it. So if you are overly engaged and you're chasing after the wind and you're just so stuck on yourself in your next kind of promotion or, or whatever it is, and you're just kind of twitchy, then what is the ultimate Stop. Well, ironically, it's the same exact thing. As you are no longer living as a reflection of God, you are trying to be God yourself. And in so doing, demeaning, undignifying how He has made you. You're not feeling fully alive. You are beholden to a counterfeit God, namely your job and it's destroying everything around you and in you. There's a folding of the hands. There's a chasing after the wind. But is there a third way? Is there a way that we can actually do this properly where we go after our work and we feel fully alive but not at the expense of our our relationships and not at the expense of our own soul? And that's what I love about the five gears. The five gears gives us a way to think about how do I not just like grind my gears on other people? How do I not just burn out my engine by always being in fourth gear? How do I apply my best energies to my most important priorities? How do I make the people that I love a priority? And actually, how do I live and work in the ways that Jesus did? That's what I love about Five Gears. Five Gears comes from Giant Worldwide. They have clients all over the world. And um, so so clients like like Google and Amazon and United States Air Force and Delta, et cetera, et cetera. So what's cool is this tool sources back from the scriptures, they just don't know it. But they're applying the principles of the Bible in their day-to-day. So let's unpack it a little bit. You can see it up here on the screen but let's just start at the first gear. This is called recharge mode. So you all have been walking through this. What's re- what is rest for you? This is where you're truly seeking rest. What does that look like for you? Anyone? Good, naps are great. Winston Churchill, one of the best nappers in history, did good for him, would do good for us. Okay, what's another example of recharge? Golf, it's a great example if you're good. Right? What? Beach. Going to the beach. Right. It's going to take a little work to get there. But yeah, it's really good. So it's actually different for every single one of us. But where do you seek true replenishing rest? And then the second mode is called connect. The Connect mode. And this is where you are truly locked in. You are fully present to the person in front of you, where you're saying, you're my most important thing right now, I am all here with you in this moment. And we can go down deep and we can stay down long. The third gear, I know you talked about last week, there was cornhole and what, board games and all that's called social mode. And um, if this is where, uh, you know, the social could be golf, by the way, it could be just hanging out in the, in the, in the workplace uh, office, uh, uh, break room, It could be just kind of going to a party, hanging out social, but you're kind of hanging out at that level of, man, we're not going super deep, but we can dip down to depth here or we can bump up to what we're talking about today, which is task mode. This is you are... Knocking it out, you're multitasking, you're answering the calls, you're responding over Slack, you're doing all the things, you're hitting your KPIs, your deliverables, all these kinds of things. You are putting your hand to the plow. You are working hard. And then fifth gear, which is next week, is about focus mode. This is like that flow state. This is where you lose uh, track of time because you're just in the zone working on your most important Things. Now, what I love about this, I've actually taken this, and I've put it to my calendar. And I literally, in my calendar, I have, where am I in first gear? Because I know that I have to be in first, if I'm going to be my best here, I have to have times where I'm, for me, rest is, uh, Sunday is my day of rest, with exception to when I get to teach. This just feels like play. It's so fun to be with you all. But uh, So I grill out. Have a beer on the back deck. I read uh, the paper. I watch golf with my daughter. I mow down flum now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's restful. And I, I actually have committed to not doing three things productivity, commerce, purchasing. Amazon can live without me for a day, right? And then tech so I'm completely off um, my own devices. Sometimes I'll sneak on my wife's, but that's okay, because my phone is Pandora's box, right? So I'm not quite trying to go Amish, but I'm trying to be free. Why, because where do I fall, where do I struggle? I wanna ask you this question. By the way, I meant to ask you earlier. If I'm not careful, and Justin said it earlier, we all, like, we all can get stuck in fourth gear, or many of us can. Some of us go this way. By the way, one's not better than the other. But when we come up against hard things, some of us go to the idle side of folding hands, and others of us go to the idle side of chasing the wind. I want, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but which way do you go? And what I love about the five gears is we have the ability to to think with intention about these things. And just to offer you a couple of words that have helped me, this is where you're working on your deep purpose and sometimes where you're most prolific. This is where you're most productive. This is where you're incorporating a sense of play. This is where you're fully present. And this is where you are grounded in the deepest of peace, where you're settled and secure in who you are in your identity. And what's cool is the thought that today Jesus is still in the car, He's still shifting gears. How did He do this in the Scriptures? Well, actually, God rested on the seventh day. God was not only the first worker, he was the first rester. How did Jesus practice that when he came? He went and hid from his disciples and they got all messed, uh, you know, upset, like, where were you, Jesus? He's, just being with the Father, I'm resting. How did he practice presence? All the time. How did Jesus live in the social mode? I'll let you think about that one. That's kind of a fun one. How was Jesus in fourth gear? doing the work of God. How is he in fifth gear, living and pursuing the purposes of God? It's pretty dang cool. If you go and look just through the Gospels at the intentional way in which Jesus, to quote the psalmist, numbered his days. To quote the Apostle Paul, made the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Like Jesus mastered the five gears and if you're in a place today where you're like, man, I, am, I just feel like I'm at a dead end with my job. Or I, am, I just feel like I have been out of the game. Maybe you've been a stay-at-home parent for like 10 years, and your work has been your children. And now you're starting to think about like, what's it like to even get out of the game or back into the market game now? Like, like go get a job outside the home, like all those things. I don't know where you are, but here's what I do know. Is that God is still actively engaged. He is still involved and enthusiastic about his work. This wasn't a thing just in the past. This is the, that Jesus who died and rose and ascended and sits on the throne today, he is still enthusiastic about you. He is involved and actively engaged in your life. I love how it's so beautifully put by the Apostle Paul in Philippians. For it is God who works in you, God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He's still driving the car. And if you're just wondering at times, God, are you still driving or should I take over the wheel? I know it's a country song. Just like, bear with me. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. So what will you do today to think through if you're stuck in one ditch or the other? Maybe you just need to rest and then you'll show up differently. Maybe you need to be more present to the people in your lives. Maybe you need play more in your life. Or maybe you need to put your hand to the plow and and recommit to working as unto the Lord Jesus. I don't know what that is for you. But as you do that, you need to know that God is so involved and so enthusiastic for your best outcome in his deepest heart. And so, Jesus, we ask your Holy Spirit just in this moment in time, would you just speak to us? This is a really personal place for us. So, Holy Spirit, come and bring revelation, comfort, hope, insight, a recommissioning. There's even a a, a sixth kind of hidden gear, and it's uh, reverse mode. Maybe some of us… What did we all want to see that husband do in the car? Did anyone feel the pain of him driving away instead of reversing back? I did. I want to say, turn around and go after your bride. So some of us need to to reverse. And so Spirit of God, with the warmth and the weight of heaven, with all the grace that could ever be doled out, we pray your peace, your courage,